Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. Will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. All right, Mark chapter 16. It has been like two plus years in the gospel of Mark. And today will be the final day in Mark. So that's it. Next week, I will not get to say turn to Mark. I kind of want to set the stage after two years by, by doing somewhat of a recap of the first 15 chapters and discussing and, and contemplating and kind of giving a bigger picture perspective as to what this man, a real person named Mark, wrote as his gospel. The, the word gospel means it's an announcement and a proclamation. Like we would get a, a news flash or maybe you get like an amber alert on your phone. Something significant that grabs your attention, but in this case in a very positive way. It means something important is happening in this moment and you have to know about it. And Mark chooses to provide that announcement this news flash, this gospel, and these 16 chapters. And really, we can boil down what Mark is communicating to, to this one thing. He is painting a picture that Jesus alone, only the name of Jesus, has authority over every sphere of life in a way that no one else ever has or ever will. But what we see in the, the gospel of Mark is that Jesus being both fully human and fully God has authority over first the spiritual, over the religious, over the demonic and sin. There will be times in our lives and there's times in the gospels where it seemed otherwise. But what Mark is demonstrating is that Jesus truly has authority in those areas of life. Jesus also demonstrates authority command that he is in charge of the natural world. He literally speaks to the wind and the waves, and the wind and the waves gain ears to hear and to obey him. He needs to feed people, and so he multiplies loaves of bread and fish to feed thousands. Animals are spoken to and listen. Plants even produce fruit when he asks them to and die and wither when he determines that is what is needed to happen. Jesus demonstrates authority over human biology in front of or in the context of our physicality. He heals those that are blind are given sight. Those that are paralyzed can walk. Those that can't hear are given that ability. Those that can't speak are able to because of proximity to the presence of Jesus because he has authority over human bodies. He also has authority over human intellect and wisdom and philosophy, not just in religious spheres, that he goes right into the political center of the world and nobody can compete to his wisdom and intellect and ability to, to conversate. The first 14 chapters of the scriptures paint this picture again and again and again. Because like today, the world in that moment was in this fight and war and wrestling match of sorts to wonder and find out and argue about and be divided about who it is that is in charge in a variety of ways. Who understands, who holds the truth, who is trustworthy. And Mark is saying, Jesus is the one that holds that crown, that holds every crown and every arena and every sphere of life. I want to just flip through some of these pages and, and read some of the, uh, the titles on... Uh, 
the, the different chapters. In chapter one, Jesus is baptized and then tempted. He calls his disciples. And then right out of the gate, he drives out an unclean spirit. And we can just kind of glance at that. But he's changing somebody's life when darkness and, and the demonic are breaking and tearing apart and ripping someone's actual story and moment. And Jesus frees them. He, he physically heals Peter's mother while she is sick and, and close to death in her household or in Peter's household. A man with a skin disease is cleansed, all in chapter one. And then in chapter two, uh, we see that Jesus has authority over sin. He forgives people. And the religious leaders don't like that because they say only God can forgive. And Jesus is like, yes, I am God. He forgives. He has authority over sin, over religion, over religious systems and oppressive ones, which he'll tear down later. Uh, one of the most important things in chapter 2 happens in verse 15. Uh, my title here, subtitle says, Dining with Sinners. There is nobody that Jesus does not dine with. There is nobody that he does not sit at a table with and share and commune and break down barriers and walls and have hard discussions and good discussions and celebrations and weddings and everything happens at the table for Jesus. There's no one that's not welcome. And he will always bring both grace and truth to that moment. And he invites us to that table. Chapter 2 uh, continues, and uh, Jesus demonstrates his authority over the scriptures, his authority over the religious system of the day. They had come to, to really misunderstand and misuse Sabbath. They had turned it into an oppressive, legalistic uh, requirement. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. God made Sabbath for you, not you for Sabbath. It's a gift and a blessing. And he reframes that for people. Chapter 3 starts with a man with a paralyzed hand being healed. He then teaches to thousands. He empowers the disciples to now go have authority. He teaches in parables. Towards the end of uh, chapter 4, in, in verse 35, we read this, Wind and wave, obey the master. Over the natural world, he speaks, and the wind and the waves listen. Chapter 5, the, the theme of the spiritual and the demonic continues. That's real. There's a real darkness and authority in our world that is evil. And some of you know that well. Yet Jesus speaks and conquers. Jesus breathes and wins. Jesus is the authority. Continue in chapter 5, and a girl and a woman are, are physically healed. In chapter 6, in the, the midst of brokenness, John the Baptist is beheaded. And immediately after that, Jesus takes just a tiny bit of food and multiplies it for 5,000 plus people. Immediately after that, in case people still are not understanding his authority, he walks on water. Sometimes he does it speaking with his voice. Sometimes he doesn't speak at all and just acts. In all kinds of different ways and forms and fashions, Jesus is saying, Mark is recording that he alone is king. He alone is the authority. He alone is in control. And not just of the spiritual or the religious, but of the natural, of the spiritual, of the religious, of the systemic, of the political, of the biological, every sphere of life, there's not one that Jesus does not have authority in. We fast forward to chapters 12 through 14. And in these chapters, Jesus is no longer doing the miraculous, but he's teaching. And he goes into the temple and he says, I'm going to tear all of this down, these massive, beautiful buildings. And by that, he also meant this religious system. 
Because what was meant to bring people into the presence of God and give the presence of God as a gift to all people of all nations had actually become this barrier. And he wasn't okay with that. And so he says, I'm the authority over this too. And I'm gonna remake and reshape and invite so that people can know that God is truly perfectly loving and gracious and merciful and forgiving and powerful. And he does that. And everything is, is going really, really well. Like you read the first 14 chapters and you see, wow, this Jesus is king. Everyone actually thinks it. They begin to shout it in the streets until we get to, to chapters 14 and 15. And all of a sudden, those that are following Jesus abandon him. The only crown that remains is a crown of thorns. His body is pierced. Everyone's rejected him. They mock him. He's beaten, and eventually he's murdered. And all of a sudden, everything that has been built very intentionally, you see the scale, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to 14. I stopped at 10 because apparently 11 through 14 are hard to say. And then we get to this gap, and everything shifted. It appears that Jesus is no longer in control. It appears as if the physical world has conquered Jesus. His hands are tied. He is beaten. He's blooding, blooding. He's bleeding. His body is pierced. It does not seem like he is in control at all. It has the appearance as if the religious system, the political system of the day has conquered him because now he hangs on a cross with the mocking sign that says King of the Jews. It appears as if the demonic and Satan himself have crowned themselves as victorious as Jesus breathes his last. Chapters 14 and 15 are all about an appearance, something that seems to be true. And then there's this gap, this moment where Mark stops writing, the ink is dried and there's nothing for a period of time in between the moment of Jesus' death and chapter 16. I want to go ahead and just, just read all of chapter 16 now. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Sloan, bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. He has authority. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. Then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them, walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. 
Verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Then, after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand of the king is the place of control and authority. So the disciples, his followers, who were afraid, now they went out and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. I believe that. I actually stand here and believe that Jesus rose. I believe that Jesus is alive and well and alive in those of us who are following him. But I also believe, maybe I should say and, I also believe that that gap between chapter 15 and chapter 16 is real. And that gap between chapter 15 and 16, which feels like a moment, maybe for some of you today, like a moment that will never end, like a moment that might be the end of the story, like a moment where there's only darkness and no hope, like a moment where Jesus doesn't seem to actually have authority. It sounds good in songs on Sunday, but in the real stuff of life, it doesn't end up. I know, I've felt, I've heard those moments too where the brokenness seems to outweigh the beauty, where it seems as if Jesus isn't truly in command and in charge. And the beauty of following Jesus is this. Though that moment is real, though that moment is heavy and brutal, it truly is. Oftentimes, moments plural. If you are following Jesus, and that is a big if, that's not everybody in this room, if you are following Jesus, there will be a day that that is merely a moment. There will be a day in the future when you look back and the moment that you're in or have been in or one day soon will be in, God forbid, but it's probably going to happen, you will look back and the brutal brokenness, the questions and the anguish and the fear will turn and shape and mold and to a memory of the faithfulness of Jesus, because Jesus never fails. That is the beauty of the resurrection. It is so good that Jesus died, because through that we see, even when there's the appearance, and it seems as if he is not in control, it is in that very moment that he is. We're just not in charge of the timing, and that makes us uncomfortable. What we see in Mark chapter 16 is that Jesus did indeed conquer the spiritual. He did indeed conquer Satan. He did indeed conquer sin, and he actually can forgive just because he wants to and he is love. We see that Jesus conquered the physical and the natural world. Maybe the moment you're struggling with or, or someday, maybe even soon you might, is in the physical and natural world, not the spiritual. Jesus is in charge and in command of that as well. Jesus conquered the biological. He rose and breathed again. He conquered the relational. His disciples abandoned and rejected him and watched as he was murdered. 
And he returns to those that rejected him as he's got nails in his ankles and wrists. He looks out and speaks a blessing of forgiveness on those that hated him. That's the kind of control and authority he has. No one else has that kind of control and authority but King Jesus. There's not a sphere of life that he is not truly an authority over. And he took that crown of thorns, and now he wears a crown of all crowns, the crown of the king of kings. And one day we look forward to, with finality, he will reign on earth as king forever. And all brokenness will be restored to beautiful, and all things will be made right, and we will function and live as humans the way that we were made to. And that day is not yet. And we still live in this in-between of that gap and this moment of all hail King Jesus. And most of us know that. And so what is the response to this Jesus, to this man, to this king, to our God and Savior? He, He lays it out here. And the first thing is confession. If you're a part of our church family, we do this every week. We take time to awkwardly embrace silence, to reflect on the past week, and to confess. And we don't confess out of fear because, oh, wow, he's in charge. He's the king. I better just let him know now and get it out of the way. No, we confess for freedom. Because in our confession to Jesus the king, what we recognize is that we actually don't have authority over our sin. We actually don't have authority to make our lives better, to make better choices and decisions and to take better actions and steps. There's a gap there. But Jesus rose, but Jesus conquered, and he can conquer our sin. And so we come in confession to him once a week to be freed from our sin by his power through the work of the Spirit. Go ahead and and take the, the next minute or two to just reflect in silence, to confess your worst to him, the areas that you don't have power and control and authority because he does and he can and will in his timing and his way work in that midst. Go ahead and spend a couple minutes in confession now. If you need more time, uh, 
feel free to, to take as much time as you need. A second way that Jesus calls us to respond and that we do weekly is by taking communion. And today, we're going to do that a little bit different uh, than we normally do. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to the, the table now. There's actually two tables, one on either side of me to, to grab the elements for communion. But don't take it yet. Just grab it and return to your seat. And then we're going to take communion all together as one body in just a moment. As I said, communion is something that we do every week. We believe it is the only really proper and, and healthy application to any teaching. It's the only proper response because what it is is actually a continuation of the gospel. That This isn't something where we hear the word of Jesus and decide to follow and then instantly become just better people that now have it together and are no longer in need of a savior. It's quite the opposite, actually. It's that now Jesus said, here's my body and here's my blood broken and given for you. And you are united to me by, by the power of the Spirit. And in John 15, uh, Jesus prays for us. And his prayer is that we would become one with the Father as he is one with the Father. And then he gives this means called communion to do it. And so the hope that we have, this gospel announcement and proclamation that Mark writes through these 16 chapters, the reality that Jesus can conquer our sin and our fears, also our hopes and our desires in the best way, that he is truly leading and in charge and in command is that he gives himself to us, is that he is alive within us and that we are united to him. So go ahead now and take the bread remembering his body and the cup remembering his blood, knowing that he is alive and in charge within you.
both confession and communion are weekly responses for us. Uh, today we have the, the honor and privilege to participate in a response that isn't weekly, it's one time, and that is baptism. Uh, we uh, had the just joyous opportunity to celebrate with seven people this morning that got baptized. I think four more next week. We have two planned today. And here for this gathering. And here's what baptism is. Baptism is both uniquely Christian and it has some components that are not unique to Christianity. Its origin isn't actually in uh, following Jesus. The, the parts of baptism that are not unique to Christianity are, are twofold. One, it's a public proclamation of what someone says, I believe. They're publicly saying, I believe, whatever it is they're getting baptized into is the truth. In this case, it's that Jesus is King and Savior. It was also, though, a, a rite, a, a ceremony of sorts that's an entrance into the community, that the church, that community, would be with the people that are getting baptized. And so today, there's this two-part relational thing going on. On one hand, the unique Christian part is that as individuals go into the water, symbolizing the death and burial of Jesus, they then rise, symbolizing the resurrection in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. They're making this commitment to Jesus. We also, though, as we cheer and worship and applaud and embrace after making a commitment to them that we as a body, because they're entering our family, will support. Because there will be broken moments and there will be beautiful moments and good ones and hard ones. And what our job is as the church isn't to be a bunch of individuals following Jesus that happen to show up in a building once a week. But as we journey through the broken and beautiful everyday stuff of life, we do so together. And so we have a commitment to those uh, today. And so I want to invite Grace and Abby up, and they're going to uh, share with us why they want to make this decision today. Abby, you want to want to go first? Um, hi, I'm Abby, and uh, just to share a brief testimony with all of you, um, I grew up and I was raised in a Christian home. Um, it wasn't until my early teen years, I was probably... 13 or 14 at the time. Um, I went through a lot of loneliness and depression. For a long time, I just saw no plan or purpose for my life. Um, over the past six years, I got really sick with stomach issues. Going from doctor to doctor and trying all sorts of medications and supplements, nothing was helping me feel better. I missed school and not being able to socialize I started to question my purpose in life. When we moved to Prescott, Arizona, um, just last August of 2020, even then I was still struggling majorly. I remember being in my bed one night and just crying out to Jesus, please, just please take this away. I don't want to live anymore if I'm just going to always feel sick. A few weeks later, a friend of mine had encouraged me to join her at a youth convention that was happening at Dream City College in Scottsdale. I decided to go with her and some other friends, and while being there, they all laid hands on me and just started praying and praying. Although I didn't feel an instant change in my health, I knew God was saying that He is healing me and that I need to just put my full trust in Him. That night I knew I wanted to surrender my whole life over to Jesus, and I wanted Him to come into my heart. This year is the best I've felt in over six years, and I praise Jesus for all of it. 
Although it was so painful at times, going through those years of trial and sickness, it truly helped me grow in my relationship with the Lord. And I've seen His goodness in ways that I couldn't see before. There's going to be great affliction and hard trials that we all have to face in our lives. But God remains faithful through it all, and He is still with us, even in the darkest of times. I know that I am dead to my sin, and that I am a new creation in Christ. He has set me free from my chains. Thank you, Abby. Jesus is indeed alive and well, and Grace, you also have professed faith to, to Jesus as Savior and King. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I was born and raised in a Christian family, but I never really got to have a relationship with God. You know, I never really knew what that was. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really, you know, grew a personal relationship with God. And I mean, I felt a love and happiness that I didn't know existed. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, it will be an honor and joy to uh, get to, to baptize Grace and Abby. If any of you also are interested in taking that step today, Jeremy Albright uh, is here and would love to talk about that. That's an option for this morning still. Uh, and for the rest of you, uh, will you stand, will you worship, will you cheer as we join and commit to Abby and Grace as well? Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just wanna encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I wanna encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really wanna encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.